All right. If you'll take your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude. The little book of Jude there. We've been looking at it for a while now. We're down in verse 14 and 15. Last week we began looking at what we know of the man, Enoch. We saw his life. Saw how that he lived in a time of an increasingly ungodly world. How that his birth of his son, Methuselah, triggered a change in his life. And we saw that while the world walked in wickedness, Enoch chose to walk with God. And it is a choice. You can choose to walk with God. And we said that walking with God means walking in God's direction. It means walking by faith. It means walking with his companionship, sharing his companionship. And tonight we look at this man of God who pleased God and look at his preaching. Let's look, read verse 14 and 15 here because this is what we're going to be dealing with tonight. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. And when he says that prophesied of these, he's talking about the ones that we've been talking about thus far. These apostates, okay? He prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints and to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now this is stuck in between uh, the characteristics of apostates. You're going to give some more other characteristics of apostates next week, uh, Lord willing. But we we know, looking at this, what we know of, of Enoch's preaching. We know that Enoch's walk with God caused him to bear a strong witness. And we see that here. I mean, he, he was not a mealy mouth, was he? I mean, he just kind of called it straight. I mean, he wasn't afraid to call them ungodly. And uh, these two verses suggest that Enoch preached hard against sin and apostasy. And as I said, that phrase there in verse 14 that says, Enoch prophesied of these, that these refers to the ones that we've been warning you about, the apostates, apostate teachers, apostate preachers, and apostate people. Uh, Apostasy is made up of two types of sin, against the truth. Um, and there are those who have been derelict of the truth. In other words, the light that they were given is outright refused. And, and I really want you to grab a hold of this concept. I mentioned it this morning in this morning's message. And you know, and, and when I looked at my notes tonight, I said, well, you know, I said that this morning, but I'm going to say it again tonight. Light obeyed brings further light. And light disobeyed or refused brings darkness. That's what it does. And we find that concept in Romans one twenty one, and we'll be over there in a little while to take a look at some verses. But that verse, Romans one twenty one, says, "Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened." So there are those who have been derelict of the truth. There are those who have been drawn away from the truth. And that in itself is a dereliction of the truth. Now, I want us to, uh, to go to Genesis and uh, chapter number 2. And uh, I want to take a look at a couple of early examples from scriptures. 
Uh, the first example is Satan himself. Satan was the very first apostate. Satan was derelict of the truth. And he knew God, but he was full of pride and wanted to exalt himself above God. And what we see in Genesis chapter number 3 is where he's trying to exalt himself to be God. I mean, he just is. We know that he wanted to be that way from Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. I'm not, not going to go over there and read those verses. I think most of us that are in here tonight are familiar with those verses. But all of Satan's I will statements you know, that are there, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend into heaven. You know, he, he, he had a bunch of I wills, and it just showed his pride. And understand that Satan is the supreme apostate. He's the supreme apostate preacher, teacher, behind all apostasy that there is. You see somebody that has apostatized, Satan is behind it. He, he was a, behind the very first apostasy uh, in, on the earth. And that we, it takes us to number two there. Eve was the first to be drawn away from the truth into apostasy by listening to the serpent, um, Satan himself, the apostate preacher teacher. Now, what truth was she drawn away from? Well, the truth that is found there in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. It's the truth that they had. God gave them one command. Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, you know, when we take a look at the Word of God, we have a hard time just remembering it all, right? It shouldn't have been very hard for Adam and Eve because all they had was that one commandment. That's all they had. But that is what Satan had to work with to pull Eve away from that. And he was successful in doing that. And if he was successful in, in pulling her away from that, we need to watch that, that, the, the, that we not pulled away from, from the truth in God's Word. Um, when the serpent told Eve, there in, look at Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. Uh, Genesis 3, and verse number 4, the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. What did God say? They that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I mean, I mean he's going to direct... Direct opposite of what God said. He says there in verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. So that statement there that Satan made was designed to pull Eve away from the truth in God. And that's apostasy. Apostasy is falling away from the truth of God. Adam was another that was drawn into apostasy. He was drawn into it by Eve. Okay? I mean, Satan didn't get to him except through her. And that's the way that uh, uh, Satan gets through to a lot of folks in the world. He gets through other people. And Genesis 3, verse number 6 says that when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And so we know Adam knew the truth. I mean, the, the command was given to Adam there in Genesis 2. And he was given that, he was given that command and, uh, of course, he, he shared it with Eve. He knew the truth, but he was derelict of the truth in that he took of the fruit and he ate even though he knew it was forbidden by the Lord. Okay? 
Adam was also drawn away from the truth by Eve, but he allowed himself to be influenced by her. Um, Cain is another one. Uh, Cain is, is found there in the, in, the, in the very next chapter there, uh, in, in chapter number 4. We're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain was another who was derelict of the truth. What truth was he derelict of? Well, the truth in the first prophecy of the Redeemer. The first prophecy was given in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God gave Adam and Eve a promise of a Redeemer. It's up to them to share it with the children, right? It is. And, uh, but it's up to the children to receive it, right? I mean, that's just the true way the truth is. And not only that truth, the truth in the first prophecy of the Redeemer, but also the truth in the first picture of the Redeemer. The first picture of the Redeemer is found there in Genesis 3.21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, you know, God shed the blood of the animals to clothe Adam and Eve from the nakedness of their sin and picture the coming Redeemer's blood being shed by God to clothe them in His own righteousness. That's what the picture, that's what's taught in that. Um, and no doubt this was taught to uh, Cain and Abel by Adam and Eve. Should have, right? They, they would have the responsibility God, to tell them, tell them what God did for them to give them a covering and that it was looking forward to the, the, the coming Redeemer. And then there's the truth of the picture of the Redeemer in Abel's sacrifice. Uh, obviously, it got through to Abel. Amen? I mean, Abel offered of the firstlings of his flock. Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Cain did not. Cain was derelict of the truth. What truth? The truth of the coming Redeemer. And so uh, we see there early on, and, and even when we get to the days of, uh, uh, before the days of Noah, and that's uh, Enoch's day, the generations before the flood in Noah's day were by and large increasingly wicked and evil and increasingly derelict of the truth. What truth? All that truth that we just talked about. I mean, God gave Adam and Eve and and it was and it was to be passed down, and it was to be received by those that they passed it down to. Um, but in Genesis six verse number five, it says, "And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." That that's the days of Noah. So how did how did things get so bad so quickly? And uh, you know, I I didn't give you another chart, but the chart that I gave you last week showing the longevity of the early uh, people in the Bible uh, would help if you kind of had it in hand right here. But I'm just going to tell you, you can go back and look at your chart and look at those things. Uh, how did things get so bad so quickly? Well, the flood in Noah's day, according to that chart, 1,656 years after creation. Okay, So that's really not that quickly, is it? I mean, 1,656 years is a long time. Plus, people were living a lot longer back then. Understand, though, that, that things were already getting bad in Enoch's day. 
Now, Enoch died 987 years after creation. 987 years after creation. That's 669 years before the flood. You say, boy, you know, there was still a good, a good amount of, of, of years there. Yeah, but things are already getting bad in Enoch's day. Understand that Enoch saw all six generations before him. Remember we read in Jude a while ago? He was the seventh from Adam. Well, he saw, he was able to see his great, 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 great grandfather Adam. Okay? He was 308 years old when his um, great, great grandfather Adam died at the age of 930. Okay? So longevity. They had long lives. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? I, I know it is. This was before the flood. And, and uh, they, the, the, the lives were longer then. But things had gotten bad already by his day. The same way they have gotten bad in our day. It is because of folks being derelict of the truth. When you are derelict of the truth, there is a downward spiral of sin that takes place that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 1. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 now. Okay? We're going to see the downward spiral. I've showed you this before. Uh, You're familiar with it. But, you know, repetition is good. It keeps us mindful of the things that we see and keeps us mindful of of the truth of God's Word. This spiral took place. It was prevalent in even Enoch's day. Romans chapter 1 and uh, we'll, we'll see here in, in just a minute. Uh, verse, let's, let's take a look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, notice this, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, been given the truth, but they chose unrighteousness instead. They've got the truth, but they're being unrighteous. They hold the truth. And what's that? That's being derelict of the truth. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Okay, if it was manifest in them, what are they doing? They're denying it. They're denying what can be known of God in that's been put in their conscience. Look at verse 20, for the invisible things of Him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Okay, they can look at God's creation, and God has revealed himself in creation. Right? He revealed himself in the man's conscience, revealed man, himself to man in, in, in his creation, and that leaves them without excuse, so that they were, are without excuse. But, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's how the darkness comes. Okay? Uh, the downward spiral of sin, we're going to see what it brings here in verses 22 uh, down through the end of the chapter here. But Again, I want you to pick up on this. Light obeyed brings further light, but light disobeyed or refused brings darkness. And that's what verse 21 points out. Um, We see the downward spiral of sin, first of all, brings 
It brings it's darkness. That darkness brings forth idolatry. Look at verse 22. We saw the darkness come there in verse 21. The brother's heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Um, uh, so we see there they, they are... Uh, they the move toward idolatry. And then idolatry uh, causes God to give them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Look at verse 24. Be- wherefore, that's mean, that means because they changed the glory of God okay, into idolatry type uh, gods. Because they did that, God them up, gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of uh, let's read verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, he's talking, looking back at their, their idolatry, and that's how they got to being given up to the uncleanness in their hearts. Well, the uncleanness there caused them to be given up to vile affections that were against nature. Look at verse 26 and 27. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Okay, so they're being given up to vile affections. Well, those vile affections caused them uh, to have a refusal uh, of acknowledging God. Look at verse number 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Let me see. Uh, why did they want to retain God in their knowledge? Because God, God brings forth uh, conviction that that's wrong. Conviction of sin. And even as they did not like to, to, to uh, verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Uh, and then he describes those things which are not convenient. When you have a reprobate mind, these things are what is going to be the reality of what's going to come out of a life that's turned over to a reprobate mind and we see why we are experiencing what we're experiencing in our country today. Look at the list. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, Whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's where we're at today, right there. How do we get there? Same way that 
it got that way in Noah's day. The downward spiral of sin. It's a dereliction of the truth. The truth is given. The truth is rejected. The truth is pushed off. The truth is denied in one's life. And when you begin to do that, you hit into that spiral. And to get out of that spiral, you've got to repent. You've got you to turn. Turn to God. Repent. And if you don't turn, you, this is where you wind up at. You wind up with a reprobate mind. And though the spiral of sin was prevalent on the earth, though I want you to understand, Enoch chose to walk with God, and that walk caused him to bear a strong witness. Uh, let's go back to his preaching now, back into, back into the book of Jude. <clears throat> Enoch's preaching was consistent with his walk with God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. Um, there, there are folks who say, "Well, you know, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do a lifestyle evangelism." They, they, they'll see that I'm, but I'm not gonna talk to anybody. That, that's not the way we're to be. Okay, we are to live right and speak right. Give a witness with our life first, so that our lips will be heard. Does that make sense to you? That's what we're going to see here. Enoch preached with his life, and that's a prerequisite. We saw last week that he he walked the walk. Um, there's a public speaker by the name of John Maxwell. He's quoted as saying this. I, you know, I don't know about John Maxwell and don't know about his life, but this I like the quote. He says, Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I'm going to say that again, okay? Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Okay, I didn't come up with that. John Maxwell is the one that's quoted as saying that. I've heard it many times before, and it's not a recent quote. But how true that is. I mean, before people will believe your words, they will normally look at your actions. Will they not? And if your actions are consistent with what you claim to believe, in other words, you're, you live according to what you say, then your actions will confirm the truth of what you say, right? You're, 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 what you say is, uh, is backed up by your life. You're, um, but if your actions contradict or are inconsistent with your words, most people are not going to heed or even listen to your words and they'll brand you a hypocrite, and rightly so. Am I right? Yeah. Enoch's walk was a witness to the fact that there is a God who has a standard of righteousness. He pleased God. He, he had that testimony that he pleased God. You can't please God without walking by faith, and he walked by faith. And he left a powerful influence behind. He left a godly legacy. I mean, when you look at him, I mean... God didn't allow him to die. He, he, he took him out. I mean, he's, he's a picture of the rapture <laughs> with his life. He, let, he left a powerful influence behind He left a godly leg, legacy. He did not live in the wickedness and evil of those around him. Uh, yes, I'm sure he, his heart was grieved over the wickedness he saw and over, the, uh, over all that uh, was going on probably even had family that was doing the same. Um, I mean, we know wickedness was great 
um, but he left he left a powerful influence. And as people listen, as people observe your life, what do they come to know of God? Do they see anything of God in your life? What impression do you give others about God as they watch your walk? What kind of legacy will you be leaving behind in your tracks? And when you and when you're dead and gone, people uh, talk freely about you, don't they? You know, and say, well, you know, that that person she 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 loved the Lord with her life. Or he loved the Lord with his life, and you could tell that he loved the Lord. You know, sometimes you'll hear him talk about that. Um, if they're not talking about that, then they couldn't tell by the way that you walked that you did love the Lord. Sadly today, um, there are even preachers who are known more for their scandals than they are for the truth. Uh, it's getting more so that way, sadly. But Enoch preached with his life. And then, number two, Enoch preached with his lips. We see here that Enoch condemned sin and apostasy. And don't you imagine that Enoch was probably labeled as being intolerant in his time? Yeah. Um, And to suggest such a thing as there being an absolute standard for right and wrong, which I'm sure he did. Hey, there's an absolute standard. God's the absolute standard. God is the one that says there's, there's right or wrong. He probably heard something similar to this. Don't judge me, bro. You know? Look around. Our society's okay with it. What, what's troubling you? you know, if society's okay with it. Uh, they, there's no law against it. Uh, the, the, the laws of, that we have here in, in our society. I mean, the evil of the times was so prevalent that Enoch went against the grain and he preached against evil. Can you pick up on what the key word in June, Jude 15 is? Um, ungodly. <laughs> I mean, look at the number of times he uses ungodly there. Of verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. As I said, he didn't, he didn't uh, beat any bones around, uh, you know, he didn't beat around the bush. He he told it like it was, didn't he? Um, well, who has a right to say what is ungodly? God does. And I'm sure he pointed that out. Um, we're told that Enoch's message uh, here, uh, we're, we're, let's, take a, let's break it down here. We're told what his message was here. Enoch's message was a message about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> that seems odd. Because Christ hadn't even come the first time yet. But he's already talking about when the time that the Lord was going to come when tens, ten thousands of his saints. He's talking about the second coming. He's talking about this glory appearing. That's when that's going to take place. And he was preaching. He's, going, he's preaching about something that we preach about today. Uh, one of these days the Lord's going to come back uh, you know at the end of the tribulation he's going to come back and, and uh, uh, he's going to set everything right then. Enoch's message was also a message about the seriousness of sin. I mean, he didn't. He he talked about ungodly people. Don't like being called out for their sin, no matter if it is what God says. People don't like being called sinners. People don't like being called ungodly. They don't like being called wicked. But that's what God calls it. 
Enoch's message was a message about God judging sin. Uh, he, he, to, he wanted to convince the ungodly that they are ungodly because of the sin which they have committed. That's what makes a person ungodly. When, when you commit things that are ungodly in your life. Uh, he wanted to convince the ungodly that they have spoke wrongfully about the Lord. And that is still the kind of preaching we need today. People, they don't have any problem uh, you know, giving their opinion about God. And, and, and you know, when they give an opinion about Christ and they give an opinion about uh, us as Christians that follow the Lord, that want to do right, they're railing against God in us is what they're railing against. It's not us. It's, it's, it's really against, they spoke wrongfully about the Lord is what they've done. So Enoch's preaching was consistent with his walk with God. Secondly, and lastly, Enoch's preaching was relevant for the times he lived in as well as today. And there's that word, relevant. We hear that a lot today, so much. I am so tired of it. I'm sure that Enoch's message was looked at with disdain. It was exactly the message, though, that God wanted him to preach in his day. God saw Enoch's message as relevant, though I'm sure there were many people living in his day who didn't see his preaching as being relevant. I mean, look at the times we live in, man. You know, get with the system. You know, you got to grow with society. You're not what you're preaching about, man. People aren't going to listen to that. You're not relevant. We hear the same thing in our day. You got to be relevant. Um, that word "relevant" means, and this is the definition: bearing on or having reference to the matter in hand. That's what it means: bearing on or having reference to the matter in hand. Listen to me very carefully. God is the one who determines what's relevant. Not people who make up society in the times that they're living in. Okay? It's not for people out there to determine what's relevant. What preaching is relevant. What preaching is relevant is what, what God says. Okay? Somebody might say, Oh preacher, your preaching is not relevant to today's young people. You've got to make it relevant. No, I don't have to make it relevant. I don't have to make it relevant. Uh, it, it, it is relevant. Uh, I mean, you, you take a look at the different generations living in our lifetime. That we, we've got, uh, and there's some even before the baby boomers. I don't know what they called themselves, the, but you got the baby boomers, 1946 to 64, Generation X, born 65 to 79. You got Generation Y, which is also known as the Millennials, born 1980 to 1995. You got Generation Z, born 1995 to 2015, and Generation Alpha. Alpha, I guess they got Z. They had to go back to the beginning of the alphabet. Generation Alpha. Born, those born after 2010. And, and those dates are kind of uh, you know, approximate of those things. And supposedly each one of these, gener each one of these uh, uh, groups of people, they got a different way that you've got to be relevant to. There's one way to be relevant, and that's to be biblical. Okay. The Bible says it is still relevant. From what I see in Scripture, listen, every generation, I'm talking about the generation in Enoch's day, 
and a generation in our day. Every generation needs to know that they're sinners. Yeah? Whether you're a millennial or whether you're a generation alpha, I don't care. Generations needs Every generation needs to know they're sinners. Every generation needs sin called out for what it is. We don't need to uh, put powdered sugar on it. You know? It needs to be it needs to be shown for what it is. Every generation needs to know that their sin has offended the holy God. How do we know that? We know it from Scripture. And every generation needs to know that judgment is coming. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what Enoch's preaching was all about. Hey, listen, ju- judgment is coming. You better get right because it is coming. And every generation needs to know that grace is available. I mean, grace was available in Enoch's time. He got grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? Too. Um, and uh, we know that grace was available. Uh, but it's not available for you to stay in, the, in your sin and be like you be like you always been. I mean, the first 65 years of Enoch's life, he was one way. His son Methuselah was born, and boom, uh, God got, a, got his attention, and for the next 300 years, he walked with God. He didn't walk with God the first 65. He walked with God 300 years. Okay, There was a change, and that's what has to take place. A change has to take place. It's not for me to make my messages relevant. No, it's for me to preach the Word as Paul told Timothy to do. The Holy Spirit's job is to take the Word and convince and convict folks that they are relevant to them. Amen. The Word of God is relevant to you. And the, and the Holy Spirit does that. He convicts men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's, that's His job. It's not my job. I preach the Word. So Enoch's preaching here was powerful and timeless. The Lord is coming with the saints. Amen? Even so come Lord Jesus right now to, to, to take us home to get ready for that time. Amen? And when He comes, He's going to execute judgment upon all. He's going to convince all that are ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. He's going to do that. And He's going to call the ungodly out for their hard speeches which they have spoken against him. Can you imagine standing before God and you've railed against him and railed against those that were of him and you've got to give an account for that? Listen, don't allow yourself to be drawn into apostasy because, believe it or not, there, there are folks that I would have never thought would have been pulled away from the truth of God's word that no longer walking with God. They're not. Yeah, they're, they're, you look at their lives that they're living, were they saved to begin with? I don't know. I can't make that judgment. Only God knows the heart. All I can tell you is what they're living now doesn't look like they've had that change that I had in my life. Don't allow yourself to be drawn into apostasy. Don't be fooled into thinking that something is true that is at odds with what the Lord has spoken. Amen. Enoch was a great preacher. He was a great preacher because he preached what the Lord wanted him to preach with his walk and with his talk. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for uh, the example of Enoch in Scripture. Lord, how he uh, shows us uh, 
Lord, uh, there's a possibility to walk with God even in very wicked times. And uh, Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to walk your way uh, in these last days. And Lord, help us not be drawn away. Help us to, to cling to the truth, to love it, to live it, and to preach it. Lord, we just pray that you'd help us with these truths now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.